Welcome to Salt and Light with Pastor Rodney Finch. Salt and Light is a radio outreach ministry of Calvary Chapel, Cary. Jesus, speak to me. Open your word and reveal your heart to me. Salt and Light is a series of verse-by-verse studies through the Bible, focusing on its practical application to our everyday lives. Salt and Light is recorded live at Calvary Chapel, Cary, in Apex, North Carolina. Stay tuned. At the end of the program, we will give you information on how to contact us, so be sure to have a pen and paper ready. Today, Pastor Rodney will be teaching from the book of John, chapter 8. So grab your Bibles and follow along. Now with today's teaching, here's Pastor Rodney. The woman, if a woman was caught, they were supposed to take her to the doorstep of her father's house. And she was to be stoned in front of her father and her family. Why? Because it was the father's responsibility to lead the family. And it was his obligation to teach his children as the head of the home. Look at verse 6. It tells us that they're testing Jesus or trying to trap Jesus. They were trying to find something that they could use to accuse Jesus. And so they brought the woman to Jesus, not because they were shocked at her conduct. They brought the woman to Jesus, not because they were so horrified that God's holy law was being broken. They were fakes and phonies from the go. They didn't care one bit about the word of God, or did they care about God's law, or did they care about the woman being violated? They had one thing in mind. They wanted to trap Jesus. And I bet you they think at this point, we got him. And so they throw this woman down. Jesus, what should we do? Now listen, Jesus, I told you, is trapped on the horns of dilemma because if Jesus says, obey the law and stone her and put her to death, the Romans will arrest him and execute him because he violated Roman law because the Jews are currently living under Roman rule. The Jews are currently living under Roman law. If Jesus says, let her go, then he's violating the law of Moses. Because remember, I told you, Jesus has been telling them, I am God. He kept saying, I am God. They said, no, you're not. He said, yes, I am. I'm God. I came from heaven. No, you didn't. No, no, you didn't come from heaven. We know your mom. We know your dad. You're from Nazareth. I am God. I am God. Jesus kept saying that over and over. And if Jesus set himself at odds against the laws of Moses, then they would say, you didn't come from the same God Moses came from because God is not the author of confusion. He's not going against his own law that was given to us by Moses. So they think they've got him trapped. Now, let's understand something. Again, they set him up. I'm going to give you two reasons. Maybe you can find more. But here's two reasons why Jesus, they set Jesus up, and we know it. Number one, because this woman should have never been brought to Jesus in the first place. They should have taken the woman to where? Anybody know? You know what? They said the same thing in the second service, the father's house. That's not the right answer. Although they should have taken him to the father's house, but it's not the right answer. The right answer is they should have taken him to the Sanhedrin, taken her to the Sanhedrin. And they should have took her to the father's house as well. Don't get me wrong. Amen. Say amen. So y'all, I'm, I'm going to let you pass on that, all right? You're, you're welcome, all right? Although they should have taken her to the, to the Sanhedrin because the Sanhedrin are the judges. 
The Sanhedrin is the ruling, governing, and legal body, and they should have heard the case there and tried the case there. They should have not brought her to some itinerant preacher to be judged. Jesus wasn't there to judge all Israel and to assess their moral conduct. And the second way we know this was a setup, because, listen, where is the man? Listen, by definition, adultery requires someone else to be there. Y'all say amen. You can't commit adultery by yourself. Say amen. It takes two. So the whole thing is a setup. They knew that this woman was promiscuous. And they knew that if we find a guy and set the whole thing up, so they go and they find this guy. And they say, listen, I'll tell you what, we, got to, we want you to go sleep with this woman. And, and we got it all set up for you. And so we're going to give you, we'll give you the, got the hotel. We want you to go to the Red Roof Inn. And we give you the keys. We got the keys, everything, room 666. <laughs> we give you the keys and you just go there. And you sleep with the woman. And at the right time, when we know it's the right time, we're going to run in, bust in with a Polaroid. And we're going to take a picture. And then, <laughs> I'm working here, people. And then, and then we're going to give you some hush money. And we'll take it from there and nobody's going to know about you. I found this interesting. I just found this out. Billy Graham traveled all over the world. Billy Graham, very interesting, never traveled anywhere without an assistant. And he would have, I never knew this before, but here's wisdom. He would have his assistant book the room because of his name. Uh, when he got to the hotel, he would have his assistant go to the hotel and, and check in and, and then have someone from the hotel go to the room with the assistant, the assistant would go check the room out, make sure nobody was hiding in the closets. Y'all feeling me? Take the TV out the room. Because, you know, TV nowadays got the, the XXX channel on it. The pornography channel, or the Playgirl, Playboy, whatever the channels are. I don't watch them. <laughs> Say amen. That's a good thing, Pastor. Yes, it is. I, I don't watch them. I don't know. <laughs> and uh, he would have them take the TV out of the room. And, and if somebody came knocking at the door, he would have his assistant. He never answered the door of his hotel for room service or, you know, hotel maid service. He never answered the door because he was thinking, if I answer the door, what if somebody was trying to set him up? So he answers the door and then some woman standing at the door. She just had a coat on. She just throw her coat off and she's standing there naked, holding on to Billy Graham. Take a picture, take it to the media. Scandal. And listen, propaganda is everything. They can make you believe. I can put something before your eyes long enough to cause you to believe it. That's called propaganda. How is it that one little man, 4'11", with a funny little beard, mobilizes a whole nation of people to kill a whole nation of people, 6 million Jews, Hitler? How'd that happen? Propaganda. Billy said, I'm going to avoid all of that. The Bible tells us to avoid the very appearance of evil. The Bible doesn't even tell us to avoid evil, although we know to avoid evil. Please say amen, saints. We avoid evil, but the Bible says even if it looks wrong, 
Are you listening? Stay away from it. Billy Graham did that. I love that. By loving our text, what Jesus did. Did you notice what Jesus did? What did Jesus do when they threw that woman down? What did Jesus do? He did nothing. It's a great thing to do when you're dealing with legalists. Do nothing. Jesus stooped down. He wrote on the ground with his finger as though he did not hear them. Did you hear that? Did you see that? I like that. You've been around here at Calvary Chapel. You know I've told you the finger of God is an interesting Bible study. Uh, Proverbs, pardon me, Psalm 8. When I consider the sun, the moon, the stars, the work of thy finger. Exodus, Moses turned the finger of God. With the finger of God turned the dust of the earth to lice. Exodus 31 tells us the two tablets of stone were written with, uh, anybody know? Finger of God. You know that? You know the story of Daniel? Daniel chapter 5. Great story. You ought to read it. Belshazzar, the Babylonian king, they're having a party and they're drinking, they're toasting, they're yucking it up. And God shows up and spoils the party. And Belshazzar looks across the room onto the far wall and he sees a hand, the Bible says, the finger of a man pressing into the letters, into the plaster of the wall. And immediately he got sober. And not only did he get sober, but he got scared. And the Bible tells us he got so scared that his joints became loose. Now, you know, you're scared. When you just, you're so scared, you just go. (laughs) And when they mean his joints became loose. Can we say K-O-Peptate? That's what that means. You know you scared. I told you this one for kids, didn't I? You know you scared. And what was written on the wall with the finger of God was mine, mine, tekel ye farsen, meaning you have been weighed in the balance and found wanting. Look at verse 6. Jesus stooped down with the finger of God and he wrote in the dirt. We don't know what Jesus, the scholars speculate all over the place on what Jesus was writing. He could have just been scribbling, like doodling. Like, you know, like when you're on the telephone, you're just doodling and just scribbling like X's and, you know, writing the name of the boyfriend and girlfriend, you just love them. You just, you know how y'all, you know, just doing, we don't know. Or he could have been writing the names of some of the guys who slept with this very woman. He could have been writing Yento, lusted after the woman at the Minimar, stalked her for seven days. All of a sudden you heard a rock drop and he walked away. Samir, ripped off your dear old grandmother's social security check. Maybe one of those guys was with that woman that same day. Who knows? We don't know what he wrote. And then the Bible tells us, look at verse 7, that Jesus said, He who is without sin among you, let him throw a stone at her first. I love this. Jesus is calm and cool and collected and waiting for the moment to be his moment. Didn't I tell you last week that Jesus is the master of capturing the moment? And they're anxious. He takes his time. They wanted him to support the law of Moses so they could stone her. And then the Romans can come and execute him. And Jesus calmly makes them wait. Everything will happen in his time, not theirs. Somebody say amen. And in verse 7, Jesus stood up and note, he didn't minimize her sin. He didn't get into a debate about the Mosaic law. 
He didn't get into a conversation about the seventh commandment. You have heard it have been said, thou shalt not commit adultery. He didn't set aside the Roman law. Jesus didn't do any of those things. Jesus says, okay, let's impose the Old Testament law. And they probably had the stones in hands, stones in pockets. And Jesus said, what I need is for someone to step forward and cast the first stone. I love this. This is fantastic. Jesus looked at them and said, if you think you have the right to judge her and to execute her, he says, here's the qualification for judging. It has to be someone who is without sin. Are you listening? Literally, this word without sin carries with the idea without the desire to sin. It's not even in your heart. Jesus said, if there's someone here like that, then go ahead and throw the first stone. Think about that. These guys are so indignant, so self-righteous themselves, and Jesus gets to the heart of the matter. Didn't I tell you that the heart of the matter, Calvary Chapel, help me out. The heart of the matter is the matter of the heart, and the matter of the heart is not this woman. It's their hearts because they want to stone this woman for the sin of adultery, but at the same time, they have it in their minds and in their hearts, murder Jesus, murder Jesus. As if murdering Jesus is different or not as bad as her being caught in the act of adultery. Are you following me? In other words, they commit the sixth commandment, break it, and she breaks the seventh commandment, thou shalt not commit adultery, but somehow they feel more righteous and holy over her. They've got killed Jesus in their heart, but they caught this woman in the act of adultery and they want Jesus to impose punishment on her. Isn't that the sum total of religiosity? Because we put sin on the scale, don't we? Like my sin is less than your sin. And stealing a candy bar is less than alcoholic. Alcoholic is less than crack addicts. Crack addicts are less than heroin addicts. You see what I'm saying? We put it on a scale. God calls sin, sin. That's why the Bible says, listen, if you don't hear nothing else, I said, hear this. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. I don't care if you, if you stole a candy bar or you were caught in the act of adultery in God's economy. That is sin. He died for that. And you need to repent of that. Just like she needs to repent of being caught. You need to repent of stealing a Kit Kat. Am I right about it? Am I right about it? And that's what Jesus is getting to, the heart of the matter. Jesus says, this is not a matter of whether Moses' law shall stand or not. The question is whether your hearts are full of sin. Are you in the position to be anybody's judge? Interesting, they brought this woman to be condemned by Jesus and judged by Jesus, and they left condemned and judged by Jesus themselves. Look at verse 9. So Jesus writes something in the dirt, and obviously they are convicted, and all you could hear was thud. One by one, they walked away, rocks dropping from their hands. Jesus looked in their eyes and said, woman, where are your accusers? And they said, she said, they're not here. And Jesus said, I'm not condemning you. Go and sin no more. 
Jesus is in effect saying, it doesn't matter if you committed adultery. I'm reestablishing righteousness in your life on the basis of grace. So take the grace of God and don't commit adultery anymore. Not because you're fearing stoning, but because you've met with God and have been rescued by his grace. You've been saved by grace. I want somebody to clap your hands and say amen. That's what he's saying to this woman. I'm reestablishing you. I'm reestablishing righteousness in your life. Now go and sin no more. And don't not sin because you're fearing that you're going to be stoned, but don't sin because you've met with God and I've reestablished you by my grace. It is the same principle for every single Christian. What are you talking about, Rodney? In Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 and 9, somebody pray for me, for God, for by grace, come on, read it with me, it's on the screen. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that is not of yourself, it's the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. Jesus is saying, these guys are hypocrites, and they're judging this woman. And all of them have committed adultery in their heart, and maybe Jesus knows something we don't know. And maybe Jesus knows this guy has been unfaithful to their own wives. So Jesus is saying to them, listen, If you want to judge her, think about yourself. How many of you voyeuristic peeping toms were looking through the window, didn't at least commit adultery in your own heart? I submit to you, listen, it is impossible for a man to be peeping through a window at a couple having sex and not be affected by that and find himself Coveting that situation in his own heart. I think that's impossible. I told you this wasn't for kids, didn't I? That's impossible. So you got these voyeuristic peeping times, religious Pharisees peeping through a window, and all the while they're committing the sin of covetousness. It has to be. Don't y'all understand Jesus gets to the heart of the matter. Y'all ain't hearing this. It has to be. And all the while, you want me dead. Everybody walked away, the Bible says. There's only one man standing there with the woman who's at. Uh-huh, the friend of sinners. Because Jesus is the only one who could cast the first stone. Jesus is the only one who could put her to death and be within his right. And think about this. Jesus is the only man in this story that doesn't take advantage of this woman. Jesus is the only man in this story that doesn't abuse this woman. Maybe Jesus has been the only man in her life who didn't abuse her. You don't know her story. You don't know her testimony. Maybe every other man she'd been with used her for sex. The religious leaders used her as a piece of evidence for their case to take down Jesus. Every man in this story is seeking to rob this woman of her respect and her dignity for their own selfish gain. And here we have Jesus, a 30-year-old itinerant preacher, and he probably was pretty fit, and he probably was nice-looking. And he is standing next to this woman who has just been dragged out of a hotel room and all she's got around her, wrapped around her, is a sheet and she's standing next to this really nice looking guy and he's not hitting on her. And she's shocked. Because this doesn't happen in her world. In her world, every man hits on her. In her world, 
She looks like a prostitute because a prostitute looks like a prostitute. Some might say, hey, man, you know, that's the truth. That's why I encourage the ladies today to dress a little more modest. I didn't say this first and second. Dress a little more modest because the clothes nowadays. Uh-uh. Uh-uh. Say amen, pastor. Say preach, pastor. I am. Uh-huh. Dress a little more mind. Lead a man something to imagine. Uh. Y'all going to be all right. Don't worry. You'll be fine. Lead a man something to think about. Everybody, everybody in town knew, and everybody in town knew this woman. I mean, this is a small community. Everybody knew. Jesus didn't hit on this woman. As a matter of fact, Jesus treated, Jesus was classy. You know what my mama told me? My mother told me a long time ago. She said, Rodney, she said, you can't buy class. She said, you can't buy a class. This is one of the Gertrudisms. My mother got like a thousand different sayings, you know. She got a thousand of them. I'd be like, what in the world is she talking about? She, she speak her own language. I mean, she, <laughs> I call them Gertrudism. Oh, that must be Gertrudism. And one of them was, Ronnie, you can't buy a class. You're either born with it or you don't have it. Jesus was classy. Somebody clap your hands and say amen. And Jesus was classy. And you want me to tell you why I say Jesus was classy? Because of one word. One word. Woman. He didn't call her the town slut. He didn't call her the promiscuous woman. He didn't call her a home wrecker. He says, woman, Jesus speaks to her with dignity and respect and honor and grace and love. And Jesus is saying, you are a woman. Live your life like a woman. Leave the life of sin and live your life like a dignified, graceful, forgiven, cleansed woman. Live like that. See, Jesus not only forgives folk, but he elevates folk. Isn't that great? He not only forgives them, but he elevates them. And, and, I, and you know what? I, honestly, I was thinking about this the other day. I thought, you know, if this were a movie, I would see the end of this movie. I don't think that woman went back to sin because I, I just don't think you can have that kind of eye-to-eye encounter with God and go back to your life like that. I, she had to be changed. And so I'm going to assume she was changed. And if the movie were to be, if this were to be a movie, I would see that woman sitting like at, at like a, a little coffee table at the window and then like a little garden outside and she uh, nicely dressed, covered up and got a cup of tea. I don't know why I said that, but, but like got like a little cup of tea and she looked like a lady. I see the movie going out. like I'm not a movie director. I'm just trying to tell y'all. Like that, you know, like she just was changed. And Jesus treated her with class and loved on her and, 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 and gave her respect. Something nobody else ever did. Something that men didn't do for her. He lifted her up. And it's very, very interesting. Get this. It's very, very interesting that the Pharisees brought this woman to Jesus thinking we caught her. But listen, this is probably, and I'm coming in for landing right here. Listen, this is probably the kindest thing they have ever done. Because they brought this woman to Jesus thinking Jesus was going to condemn her when in fact Jesus forgave her. In other words, what they meant for evil, God meant for good. 
Isn't that right? What they did was beautiful. What they intended for evil, God used for good. What they intended for death, God used for life. What they intended for wrath, God used for mercy and grace. The Bible says no weapon formed against you shall prosper. And what the enemy means for evil, God means for good. they, They were a blessing to this woman. She didn't know that. She thought they dragging me to Jesus and I'm going to wind up stoned at my father's doorstep. She didn't know. Jesus is a friend to people like her. Somebody say amen, clap your hands. He's a friend to people like her. And she didn't know that it was going to be that day that her life was going to be changed because it is impossible. Listen, I'm coming for a land and let y'all go get your chicken sandwich. Listen, it is impossible to come in contact with Jesus and not be changed forever. And that's what happened with this woman. You have been listening to Salt and Light, a radio outreach ministry of Pastor Rodney Finch in Calvary Chapel, Cary, located in Apex, North Carolina. Join Pastor Rodney Monday through Friday at this same time. For information regarding service times, you can contact us at one 800 293-0923. That's 1-800-293-0923. You may listen to today's broadcast in its entirety by visiting the media library on our website at cccarry.org. We would like to thank you for tuning in to Salt and Light and pray that you have been blessed. Until next time, may you be salt and light.